Hi, I'm Tony Hines and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. So, let's get started. Hi everyone, I'm Tony Hines and this is the Chain Reaction Podcast. Today I want to talk about transport at zero and what that means. Okay, I was talking to some people this week and... We happened to be speaking about uh, various issues in the supply chain. And one of the things that came up was the uh, increasing demand for warehousing space in the pandemic. And if you think about this, what's happening in retail in many towns and cities is that uh, stores are becoming less popular in the city centre or the high street in the UK is certainly uh, suffering quite a bit with the pandemic. And I know that's the case in European cities and also in the United States. So what we're seeing happen is transport at zero miles an hour. And when I refer to transport at zero, I'm talking about, of course, warehouses, because that's what they are. Storage facilities are merely transport at zero. And that's Not particularly facetious because uh, if you consider what's happening, they're just there for a short period of time in those warehouses, those goods, ready to move on to the next depot or the next customer. And that might be a retail store, it might be direct delivery. And so what we've seen expand in the past few years is, of course, the direct delivery service. And everyone now is ordering goods, supplied directly to their home or to their business using the internet, either on a mobile phone or on a laptop, a tablet, or other devices. And they're actually getting goods at their convenience and sometimes at very good prices without having to leave the room. And so Transport at Zero is all about the growth of warehouse development. It's recently been estimated that an additional 125 million square feet or more of warehousing space will be needed every year until 2025 in the United States and Europe, just to keep up with the current levels of demand. Warehouses are also getting bigger. They're now about 150% larger than they were just a few years ago. So these warehouses are very, very big spaces. Land and property prices are usually lower because they're not located in a city centre, they're outside of a city, and they're usually on industrial land or brownfield sites. The rise in e-commerce, of course, has driven the demand for warehouse space. But it's still growing because the demand for goods is growing too. And people want this convenience that we're talking about here today. Also, building resilient supply chains that we've talked about in the past few weeks, moving from the idea of just-in-time production to a more resilient supply, which means that you might have to just-in-case hold inventory, then demand is growing even higher. 
If we estimate the cost of a 5,000 square foot warehouse in the United States, it costs about $100,000 to build the shell. And the rest of it, about a, depending on the land and where it's located, but that can be up to $200,000. So you're talking about $300,000 thereabouts to build a 5,000 square foot warehouse in the US. The shell with slabs and so on and so forth, so that you can just turn the key, walk in, use the warehouse, is about $20 per square foot. Demand in the UK for warehousing space is estimated to grow over the next four years, according to Knight Frank, at 92 million square foot. But that could even be an underestimate. In the UK, of course, there's the added complication of Brexit, which means that more warehousing space than ever is needed to hold all those goods that just can't get through customs or through the paperwork trail of the post-Brexit bureaucracy fast enough. If you stockpile, you need a warehouse. Simple as. In the UK, it costs somewhere between 690 to 901 pounds per square meter to build a warehouse. Turner and Townsend have an index which shows the cost of warehouse space across the world. Interestingly, the index shows that if you build a warehouse in, for example, Hong Kong, it's likely to be 1.6 times more than the cost of building a, a warehouse in Northampton. And if we look at the cost of warehousing UK to the United States, then in general terms you can build at a lower cost in the United States, which is probably due to land value because the United Kingdom is congested and the United States has lots of land. And Hong Kong has not very much land. So it's probably the land values that are making the difference in cost, perhaps more than the build. As consumer behaviour has changed, so the warehouses need to be different. They need to be larger to hold the extra goods, the variation in goods. And in technical terms, this seismic shift has come about because of the move to what we consider to be omni-channel retail. And by omni-channel, we just mean lots of different movements of goods through different channels. Touch points and integration is the key to omni-channel. It just means everywhere. Omni means everywhere. So, for example, a retail store, a purchase on different internet sites, but coming from the same warehouse, maybe, uh, and so on. The warehouses have had to adapt, and some of these warehouses now are a colossal size. An Amazon fulfillment centre in the UK, in Dunfermline, is one million square foot. And Amazon has a number of warehouses throughout Britain, which are large. But the one million square foot one is the biggest. It's the size of 14 soccer pitches. Amazon are said to handle a sale every 60 seconds or thereabouts. And they've been in the news recently because of the claim that 
if goods are not selling out of those warehouses fast enough, then they're dumped. Amazon have denied that, of course. The dump firm on site of the Amazon warehouse has 1,000 permanent staff and lots of temporary employees. There's also another site of a million square foot in Lancashire for a business called Shaw National Distribution Centre. And you might not have heard of them, but they handle goods for Shop Direct, which is a, a retail giant. And they run stock for Very & Co, or Very, which is an internet sales business. If you look for goods online, you'll quite often see a quote from a Very, given a comparison to prices in normal retail stores or other internet sites, and Littlewoods.com, as well as other brands that they actually run the distribution centre for. And they employ 1,250 people in that local area. So these are big employers, these warehouses. And then the smaller warehouses come down to the sizes we talked about at 65,000 square feet. And obviously there are even smaller warehouses than that. They come in all shapes and sizes, these warehouses. Morrison's have got a very big distribution centre in Sittingbourne. It's about 900,000 square feet. In all, they've got six distribution centres across the country, but Sittingbourne is the largest. It's said to have seven miles of aisles that you'd have to walk down. The sol- that particular site delivers to about uh, 86 stores. So these are big places. And then another place I visited on one occasion is the site at Lutterworth uh, Magna Park. And that's a m- massive distribution centre in that location. So if you're not convinced that we've got miles and miles of warehouse space and it's growing and bigger, just drive along the M6 south of Birmingham and you'll see a lot of it there. So they're massive and there's lots of them. Another reason why warehouses have gotten bigger is not just the extra demand, but it's also the type of space that's needed has to be larger to accommodate the variation in the goods that pass through warehouses. These very large warehouses, if you were to look, for example, at a large Amazon warehouse, then the space inside the warehouse is, of course, very large. And that's to accommodate all the trucks and equipment that need to move around that warehouse space and also to have the visibility of the product of the shelf for the pickers. And these larger warehouses are likely to stay large in the foreseeable future. It has to be accessible and it has to be a clear path. So it's definitely not the case that Warehouses are suddenly going to shrink in size, but there may be scope to utilise the space more efficiently, particularly with robotics and the development of artificial intelligence systems to utilise space better. And if you look around, there are particular places where warehouses are located and they're usually key 
It's a, it's a science to work out where a warehouse should be placed. We basically look at populations within a, an hour's drive or a couple of hours' drive of a destination, and warehouses will be located within that area. In the UK, for example, lots of warehouses appear in the Midlands around Northampton because Northampton is well located for Midland locations and the surrounding areas. It's also an intermediary hub on the way to London or on the way to the north. So Northampton is a very good centre. Again, on the east coast, if you look around Leeds and Hull, then in Yorkshire, a very good uh, location for that east coast area. And if you look to the west uh, and you look where the intersection of the M6 and a lot of other motorways around Manchester are located, Warrington is a very good centre for warehousing. Because you can deliver to anywhere within an hour, you can get quite a quite a distance in. You can within an hour you can travel fifty, sixty miles. And that's what we mean by transport to zero. And of course large firms have put their investment into warehousing space. And of course, Amazon, of course, run out of warehouses in any case. They have big warehouses located in major conurbation areas where they can reach within a couple of hour drive. So you'll see centres in Manchester, around airports, again, Warrington, Swansea, and Birmingham, and so on. And so you'll see lots and lots of warehouses. So there's definitely a growth in warehousing space and this is a big issue for the future because what it means is that the high street is almost defunct when you're thinking of delivering from a warehouse and more and more people are ordering their goods without ever visiting a retail store so unless retail stores can offer something very different and that usually means some excellent customer service because you'd have to go a long way to provide excellent customer service in a store as opposed to online delivery. In a store, I might wait longer for my delivery if they're out of stock than I would to order directly to my door. And so this time pressure and time compression element of ordering and the expectations of customers is only likely to increase. And so it puzzles me also why local authorities in the UK would invest in retail store space in city centres, or even consider building new developments for retailing, especially in cities where stores have closed down, shops are moving out, and people want to be on retail parks rather than in city centres in any case because of the convenience of driving where it's free to park. So just think about that before you invest millions of pounds in a white elephant in your city. Recently, I visited Chester, and when we talk about shopping developments, I was surprised to see the new development on the Ring Road where there's a lot of congestion being caused by building work to lay new sewerage pipes down under the main Ring Road and down to the river for the new buildings. And if you think about these new buildings, these are new store developments. It's a new retail area that they've planned close to uh, the local theatre and library, which is on the fringe of the city. 
And in the city centre itself, there are large properties which have become vacant due to the closure of big retail stores such as Debenhams, which was Browns of Chester, of course, at one time, uh, and other major retailers pulling out of the city, such as H&M and the various clothing retailers that have had a bad time prior to the pandemic and during the pandemic. And so what you've got in the main part of the city are lots of empty shops. And in the new development, you've got new retail space. But of course, it's competing with out-of-town centres nearby and of course not very far away, located on the motorway links at Ellesmere Port within an, an hour and a half of about 6 million people, is the Cheshire Oaks development. And so it doesn't really make a lot of sense to put public money into that particular investment. That money could have been used in a better in a better way. And that's just one example of perhaps not thinking things through in an investment decision in the current times. But Chester's not alone. There are other cities in the same situation. And there seems to be a a kind of copycat mentality amongst policymakers when they actually decide to build these new centres. I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in an area, but is it the right type of investment? So you need to think about whether you're using the money wisely and the opportunity cost of that investment. Another item in the news this week that I came across as I trawl through my trusty sources was about chips. We used to have chips with everything. And I'm not talking about chips as in fries. I'm talking about chips, not as in cookies. No, I'm talking about chips. Yeah, you got it. Microchips. The microchips that we have in every device. The computer in front of me, the cameras I have, the audio equipment, the TV sets, and my motor vehicle, of course. And it's motor vehicles that I want to talk about just a little bit. Toyota is expecting to ship nearly 10 million vehicles this year, which is 6% up on a year ago. Companies are continuing to struggle to meet the demand because there's a shortage of all sorts of things from raw materials, steel, aluminium, rubber, glass, glue, metal, electrical equipment. All sorts of things are in short supply. And it's not just the boxes on the ships that we talked about last week in Where's My Box. It's the fact that lots of production has stopped or slowed during the pandemic period. So what exactly might you do to improve the situation as we move through the year? Well, hopefully we can get a way to live with the COVID-19 and production can pick up again and shipping can pick up. But one of the things that was noticeable about the Toyota improvement as against other car companies, automobile companies elsewhere, and we're talking about big companies with big volumes here, they've been able to 
manage the semiconductor chip business very well at Toyota because of the way they manage production generally. As we know, they had the Toyota production management system and they essentially work with the lower tier suppliers, tier three, tier four, and so on, to ensure that they have visibility in the system to let them know what's needed when. So it's about it's about managing from the front end the consumer demand part for cars and then managing the flow through or the throughput of the rest of the materials. As we used to say, we'd put a bill of material together and we'd be able to see what's happening with that bill of materials. But of course, we couldn't really see what was happening in the past. But with the technology that we have today, it's possible to get that visibility in the system and it's possible to share the data with those tier three, tier four suppliers so that everybody in the supply chain or in the supply network knows what's happening. So it's about managing that particular risk. So that's a bit of good news. If one major automobile company can do that, the rest can learn. And it's about improving that supply chain. So come on, guys, take a look at Toyota. So there we have it. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and I look forward to welcoming you back in the next episode when we'll have some more interesting things all about supply chain advantage. Look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast written and presented by Tony Hines. Chain 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 Chain